The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hey, this is Matt Landrew, the voice of Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars The Clone Wars. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars. This is where the fun begins. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, Episode 175. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Angela Ciolana, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books to TV shows and more, we're looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. And today we're diving into the seventh and, believe it or not, penultimate episode in the debut season of Ahsoka series, and on our crew tonight, we have, first of all, Master Ikrit, a.k.a. Thomas Salerno. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Angela. Good to have you back, Master. Um, we also have with us um, a, someone who's been very busy lately, the pod racer, Ryan Nafziger. Hi, Ryan. Hello, hello. <laughs> and um, if you don't know what Ryan's been up to, join our Discord at sqpn.com slash Discord. <laughs> remain a mystery (laughs) yes you will find out what's what awards he has won and all that good stuff um and finally joining us once again is our one and only padawan josh bigley what's up josh hello hello (laughs) well this week's episode part seven dreams and madness which is so fun to say is summarized on starwars.com with the following um very vague statement. Hera must answer to the New Republic while far, far away, a reunion takes place. So before we dive in, we want to take a brief moment to recognize the folks who make this podcast possible, our patrons, including Haley D, the S family, Pat S, Kate N, and Ron L. Thank you so much, y'all. And if you out there want to help StarQuest continue our mission, please consider becoming a patron at sqpn.com slash give. All right, guys. So um, let's talk about overall first impressions of Dreams and Madness. <laughs> um, Thomas, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but I was... The only disappointment I really had was that there was seemingly a dearth of both Dreams and madness <laughs> in this episode. But besides that, I actually really liked it. Um, I had a lot of fun, um, especially the stuff with Ezra and Sabine and the Noti people. Um, but yeah, and I, I think we're also getting a lot more, uh, just a lot more interesting wrinkles with Balin and his apprentice. And I'm actually surprised that going into the finale, like how little... I know of or can guess of what's going to happen. And that's just really exciting. I saw some talk that like people have said like this episode seemingly didn't advance the plot much at all, but I didn't really have that impression. I was I was just more like just taking in everything that was going on. And yeah, I, I just thought overall it was a really entertaining episode and I can't wait to see what happens next. Okay, well, from Master to Padawan. So, Josh, what was your overall impression? Um, I love Thrawn. <laughs> I, 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 love, I, I love the way Make that he Make it a thinks. t-shirt. Yes. Um, but just seeing him explain his madness, I guess, with the theme mm. of the episode, um, was just amazing to see. And also, like, I, I love like, the small little bit where he was like, Yes, if both the master and apprentice go, we'll we'll surely win. And then, obviously, the jet or the Siths, I guess, the contractors, whatever, whatever they are, <laughs> yeah, um, they uh, they messed up his plan, which is always what happens. So, always, I I, I just 
enjoy Thrawn and his battle strategies because he's seemingly without flaw, but it's other people that are his flaw. Mm. All right. Um, Ryan, what did you think of this episode? I think it's a really good setup episode. I think that it teed up a lot of things to happen really, really good. Um, I am only disappointed that Chopper was not put on trial for his war crimes. <laughs> um, he, they had a whole they had a whole court right there, and they missed it. They missed their opportunity. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite part um, was the Pergil being smart and not dying. Yeah, not all yes, running like through that. the minefield. They said no thanks and left. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, it was real life minesweeper for them, and they said we refuse to play this game. <laughs> yes, I agree. They said this um, is in 1992. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh, madness, Thrawn. Okay, we're gonna, so we're going to talk about the meaning of the episode but i kind of want to leave that for the end so we'll just kind of sprinkle throughout if we notice things and then maybe come to a conclusion as to why this was called dreams of madness um for me i would say my overall impression was that i liked the episode i did appreciate learning more about balin and shin um we got some character development from both of them i think and they were very, um, like, really vague hints of character development. And, I don't know, watching this season kind of feels like the kids in Hansel and Gretel where they're just... <laughs> was that the one where they're just... They have this, like, they're following this trail of... Trail of yeah. yeah. Gingerbread into gingerbread. the forest. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're giving us just these little bits every episode and we're sort of eating it up and following the trail, but we have no idea where it's going. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, I I really don't have like a solid overall first impression of this episode. But let's um, let's dive into it. So. First of all, oh, snap, Senator Ziona. <laughs> <laughs> he got shut down by C-3PO, apparently, who is just a mere droid. <laughs> <laughs> Although everyone um, else seems to think me? he's famous. Everyone else, like, yeah. I think he was just salty because, like, literally the rest of the room was like, oh, that's C-3PO, the, <laughs> like, the voice of Leia slash one of the heroes from the Rebellion. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, I mean, Mon Mothma said 3PO, his nickname is yeah. endearing, you know, so endearing. But OK, so we have this trial, um, as you mentioned, uh, Ryan, not Chopper's trial, yeah. which hopefully we get in a short someday because that would be hilarious. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had um, Hera on trial for um, her disobedience. and. Um, and Senator Ziono was really not impressed um, with her and not interested in the idea of any Imperial remnants um, getting together and having a plan. So, um, Ryan, I know you really wanted to talk about this. Um, tell me what your what your questions are, what your thoughts are about this particular scene. Yeah. So. This scene has stood out for me because I think there's a very clear progression with a lot of the new Star Wars content about fleshing out what it what the New Republic was like between the end the the sort of the period of peace between the end of episode, Star Wars episode 6 and the beginning of Star Wars episode 7. And I think that this scene, um, like a lot of the others that they've been putting out, kind of shows what kind of a government the New Republic was. And I was I was interested to hear your guys' takes on it, but I kind of got the impression that like the New Republic didn't grapple with the mistakes of the Empire, and that was kind of their downfall. That they weren't um 
And like this scene kind of shows it because no one wants to talk about the Imperial remnants. No one wants to consider <laughs> the possibility that there's a lot of people that live in the New Republic who used to be Empire supporters overnight. And like it reminds me of how it reminds me of how like when you don't address the like root cause of something, the root cause of an issue, it just comes back and it just comes back faster than you think it will. So I don't know if you guys had more thoughts on this sort of whole arc that's been going on in both Ahsoka and kind of some in Mando season three with like. What is the New Republic? What is it like, you know? And why did it just disappear overnight, seemingly, in, in the sequel trilogy? As a history buff, it almost seems to me like they are combining aspects of post-World War I Germany with post-World War II Germany. Because the New Republic seems to be obviously, it, it's, it's very shaky, and it it hasn't it's not dealing well with its past, kind of like the republic that existed between in Germany between the wars, which is commonly called the Weimar Republic. And it's also a lot like post-World War II Germany, because after World War II, the Allies engaged in this process called denazification, where they tried to they, initially their initial idea was to have a government with no former Nazis in it. But they soon realized that that was actually unworkable because to be a civil servant in Nazi Germany, you had to be a card carrying party member, no matter what you believed to, to work in government. You just had to be a member of the party. So they're, they're like, well, to keep a functioning government, we can't just fire everybody and hire a bunch of people who don't know how to run a government. So they ended up keeping a lot of low level civil servants who were former Nazi party members in both German governments, in West Germany and in the communist East Germany. No matter what the communists said about hating Nazis, they had a lot of former Nazis in their government too. And I like that they're adding these kind of historical elements because it adds to that kind of realism where you see that like, yeah, you know, at, after a huge war like this, and it, how do you dismantle a totalitarian state and cobble together a democracy from scratch. Like that, that's an interesting question. And it seems to be like it's that process is laying the seeds for the new Republic's eventual downfall at the hands of the first order, which is kind of, and it, it also kind of links into what Balin is talking about, about this cycle of the rise and fall of empires of the continual cycle of rivalry between the Jedi and the Sith. So I think that's, that's led to some really interesting storytelling beats. Josh, what are your thoughts on how the New Republic is shaping up here? It's interesting to see it from their leader's standpoint of how you have someone like the senator, whose name I'm forgetting, um, who's very much like, you need to stop acting like this is still a war going on to Hera and actually make her be a general and act like a normal soldier. But how can you transition out of that? If that's all you've really known is war mm. and that aspect of people aren't also wanting to go back into a government that they're going to be like, they have too much control again. And it's a lot of, they don't want any sort of control, but they know they need it. And I feel like having too decentralized or I guess too much away from a government is, a, or like no, no sort of centrality to it in any aspect is sort of where it seems like it's going is going to be why like the first order is able to come up in the middle of it again. Yeah. Um, I have to, you know, I, I appreciate all of your, your, um, thoughts. I tend to come from like, where, where is the panel of, you know, senators going wrong on a personal level. And I like how you brought it to Hera's personal background because she has kind of brought that up. I think that is 
one of her motivations for making sure that Thrawn is is gone um, for good. But for Zen- Senator Ziono, um, I don't know if any of y'all watched any of the um, Resistance, was it Resistance episodes of the series, the Resistance animated series? Um, but Ziono in that show, he's, his background is kind of like a businessman. He's, he's sort of, um, he's kind of like a Lando Calrissian sort of character where he is in charge of a ship that is kind of like this huge base in and of itself. Um, and he, he takes care of these people who are constantly, um, being, attacked by pirates and whatnot and he has to defend them over and over again and he's kind of like a governor in a way but he runs it uh, more of like a businessman not like a military leader um and so i i tend to think about that in how he needs proof essentially i can see why he would need proof more proof than Hera is providing to them for such a huge threat and drastic measures, um, you know, assuming that Thrawn is coming back. So I, I can sympathize with that. And I think that he is not, <laughs> if we were in his position, I don't think we would say, Oh my gosh, he's being so stupid. <laughs> I think he's being as prudent as someone in his position and from his background would be. But I think that's a reflection of good writing on the part of the show. Uh, I also think it's interesting that no one else on the panel spoke. I mean, we yeah. had like what, Tem Num and Admiral Akbar on the panel <laughs> and they yeah. didn't speak. Like, there's, I think there's also something to be said there. You know, there is a sort of silent complacency that's kind of starting to to rear itself. Like, these were guys who, they were in it, just like Hera. And they, they not only didn't defend Hera, they also didn't voice their opinion or speak to what they think is going on. They let one guy kind of take Old over. Yeah. Except for Mon Mothma. She had no problem she had no problem contesting things and trying to speak her mind. But we we did have other people on the panel that did not speak at all. I thought it was interesting, and I don't know if this was a slip in the writing or not, but where Ziono is like talking about Hera's report of what happened and saying, are we to believe any of this? There's no proof. And I'm like, wait a minute. It wasn't just Hera. It was the whole squadron of X-Wings and those three cruisers who showed up. And the three cruisers who showed up, they saw the space whales and what was going on. They have instruments and presumably hollow recorders. Those X-Wings would have recorded the Eye of Scion and all that stuff. And I'm like, and you, what do you mean there's no proof that we can't believe any of it? That just Two seemed... Two people died. Right. There, there, there were X-Wing pilots who were killed. And it just seemed, at, at least in that moment, he seemed to be like being unreasonably obstinate. Mm. But again, that, that may be by design. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, C-3PO coming in as Leia's messenger... Did it underscore for you the fact that Carrie Fisher wasn't available to play herself and that they didn't want to, you know, artificially recreate her digitally? Um, Or, I mean, did that bother you or were you just fine and you thought that this was pretty natural? I mean, I think that they did it in a pretty natural way of saying, like, she's got other stuff she's dealing with, but here's someone else that can relay a message for her. And it doesn't seem the most important. And like, even in Rebels, whenever she had met them in the one episode, it was under like dire circumstances that Leia was even really there. I don't see her much as being like, yes, it would always be nice to see Leia and, you know, be like, oh my gosh, she's back kind of thing. 
but I think 3PO was a good way to get the message in and I don't know, she she likes her robots. <laughs> Does. I agree. I liked seeing 3PO. You know, I it after a moment I was like, "Oh, you know, that means, you know, Leia's not going to be here." But at the same time, I just like Anthony Daniels as 3PO. I think that whole scene was also kind of a a little bit of a fourth wall nod to the fact that how much Anthony Daniels is respected and beloved by both the Star Wars creative team and the fan community that everyone in the the trial room just knows him and respects 3PO. That was great. I was kind of laughing at Senator Ziono when he was so insistent that they couldn't take, you know, evidence. They couldn't accept evidence from a droid. And I'm like, wait a minute. Droids have existed in this universe for thousands of years, and you're telling me there is not established legal precedent for a droid for, for a droid to act as someone's legal proxy, yeah. which is what he was doing. I'm like, there must be precedent for that. I'm like, be quiet. Yeah, <laughs> so I like, think he's kind of out of order there. Yeah. Without going into a whole other discussion on like the ethics of digital recreation of actors, I do think right. it was really appropriate to... Um, Use and use three PO as as a as a proxy for Leia's voice. Um, I don't think it felt out of out of place. Um, and I also think um, I also think that it puts forward a really interesting sort of like political situation because if you think about it, why is like why is Senator Organa not at this proceeding? You know, like, it's not because she's not important. We had other people who were there at the Battle of Endor at the proceeding. Maybe it's because she's not on board with the New Republic leadership. That would fit really well with her sort of from-the-heart character. Like, Princess Leia is a from-the-heart character. Um, and. It's no secret she's literally leading a resistance movement in episode <laughs> seven. So like that, I think that if anything, this was very fitting to show that there are already major figures who are kind of uh, kind of not on board with with things already. And that's 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 very uh, I think it was very appropriate. It also fits with how Leia is portrayed in her role as a senator in Claudia Gray's novel, Bloodlines. Mm -hmm. I was not just going to bring up that book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where not only is she sort of skeptical of the New Republic, but she's also willing to bend the rules and do things that aren't exactly protocol when the Republic just isn't getting it done. Yeah, I, I really I have that book right next to and above my head on my shelf. Um. That book really, I would, I would highly suggest it for anyone who is interested in, you know, this idea that Leia's out doing other things. And that was immediately where my brain went when I realized, oh, she's not here. Why would she not be here at this really important trial? Because she's in charge of the defense council, apparently. But also in that novel, she's, she's off on her own kind of investigative missions um, trying to track down what's going on with these Imperial remnants and bad guys. So, <laughs> so that's a really cool book. Um, it's like three steps ahead. She's already going for the Imperial <laughs> remnants where people are debating whether or not they exist. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, let's move to another droid and our hero. Uh, in the belly of the whale, or maybe not the belly, but more like the mouth of the whale. Um, Ahsoka is using training hollows that Anakin had recorded for her. And when I realized this, I said, wow, because at first I thought, are we getting Force Ghost Anakin? But no, I noticed the texture was a hollow recording. Um, what did you guys think of this? Does, does the fact that he recorded all of these training hollows for her and when did he do them? Um, does this change how you see Anakin? And do you think that Ahsoka's relationship with Anakin has 
changed through this very short season of the series that we've had, because I would say yes to the latter. I think definitely Ahsoka had some hesitations about her master at the beginning of this episode, this uh, series. I think that, one, I think it really is really interesting that Anakin recorded Training Hollows because, I mean, newsflash, he's not going to be around for a lot of the time to train Ahsoka. Um, I did, I was watching her training sequence, a brief aside, I was watching her training sequence and was really happy to see that some of the same moves that she used in the training sequence were ones that they showed during Tales of the Jedi Season 1 with the Ahsoka training short. Um, because Anakin says some says some really similar things in the training hollow. But um I think that I think that they're kind of using Ahsoka's relationship with Anakin to show why she is to show why she um she kind of wasn't really able to be a master. Um yet. No, I think there is some I mean, obviously, we see all of the unresolved trauma um, in the flashback episode, practically. And I think that, like, um, I don't know if Ahsoka's relationship with Anakin's gotten better, but I do think that she's gotten a lot of closure. Yeah. um, Josh, what do you think about um, Ahsoka and her relationship with Anakin? especially given this particular scene with the training hollows. I feel like the hollow holograms and the training was very fitting just because of Anakin's caring nature and wanting everyone to be their best and especially wanting Ahsoka to do her best and to succeed. Um, and so that made a lot of sense to me, but then whenever you brought up how her attitude changed in the season, I was thinking about it. I was like, she definitely wasn't fully around with the terms of Anakin's whole arc and what happened with him. But she sort of see, like, I guess, saw him through it all. She just didn't have the time to actually process it. And then in the world between worlds, something happened for her where she was able to get a better grip on life, I guess, is the best way I could put it of understanding everything and making it seem a bit happier of a relationship rather than I failed my master kind of thing. I think it's very interesting that she's been holding on to these training hollows all these years. Like it struck me that like, this is probably the first time she's watched them in a long time. Like, at least since she's never watched them since she learned he's Vader. It was Vader, but and and possibly for much longer. But I just felt that it's interesting that even after learning what happened, she held on to them. And that now, you know, like you guys said, now that she kind of has that sense of closure, she's able to go back to them and and say at the end after it was over that he was a good master. You know. And she's she's kind of made peace that like like Star Wars keeps repeating that kind of like the real Anakin died when he became Vader. And I feel like she she kind of accepts that, you know, because I really feel she was, you know, traumatized even more Mm -hmm. by by the events of Twilight of the Apprentice, you know, that he was just so far gone that not only could she not save him, but he tried to kill her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she's finally moved past that a little bit. I did think it was funny that, though, she said this was his final training recording, but it feels like from what he says in it, it would have been one of the early training recordings. But that's just a nitpick. Otherwise, I just I love this scene. I, I thought it was spectacular. And I I just love seeing Hayden Christensen in the Clone Wars shoulder and chest armor because i always thought that was a cool look for anakin because because it kind of foreshadows the vader armor later he has a very similar chest piece 
And so I, I like that outfit for him. Yeah. Um, it was really cool. Just uh, the aesthetics of it was fantastic to see and to witness and to hear him say Asajj Ventress, which I don't think we've yeah. ever heard him say. <laughs> um, I think all of your thoughts have me going back to when I first watched this scene and I can't help but connect it to people. This isn't my particular situation, but I know of people who have had a parent who either left them or there was some kind of trauma in the relationship and they worry that they're going to turn into their parent, you know, and um, become this sort of um, terrible aspects of their parent that they can't help but hold on to because of that trauma and so in that way I was really moving to watch her coming to grips with the the Anakin who was truly her master you know the one who raised her in the best of ways and not the person who gave in to their um, temptations, you know, and to their fears. And, um, you know, it's, it's part of the grieving process that we have to sort of um, look back on our difficulties with people and in relationships and, and realize that people are complex, you know, and that there were good times along with the bad times. Um, that's one of the really important things to, to do when you're healing, um, to kind of reconcile that. So I, I think one of the reasons why this scene was particularly moving was because of that, because, because you can see that Ahsoka has sort of come to reconcile in her mind, um, in her spirit with, with Anakin. Um, so onto some maybe funner stuff, <laughs> the space chase with Huyang and Ahsoka. And I thought this was a really good chase. Um, I mean, it wasn't all high speed chase in a way. It was more of like, um, a thriller or like a haunted house, but you're just <laughs> in a <laughs> ship with like space whale bones all around you and you can't see anything. <laughs> And Thrawn is has his guys around every corner. <laughs> it was kind of cool. Um, did you guys have fun with this? What did you think of um, this chase and having the Dathomiri mothers and all that good stuff? I love what they're doing with the Dathomiri mothers. Um, I think the last the last time I was on, we talked a lot about how they're looking like the fates and how they kind mm -hmm. of have this aesthetic about them that makes them look a lot like the fates and they're using the string and the ball and everything. Um, still holding out for that wolf cat, stealing one of them. Uh, fingers crossed. We've got one more episode. Um, I think it was not to like jump into something else, but I think it was really interesting that they were listening for ahsoka to reach out with the force mm -hmm. and they like just pinpointed her on that and i think that that was really i think it was really cool um that they were just it, it felt to me like they were just just uh waiting for the thread to twitch you know like a spider just waiting for the thread to twitch and they're ah. like ah that is where they are um I also liked, like I said before, that the Purgles weren't idiots. They didn't just keep <laughs> running forward and blow themselves up. I was so worried that we were going to see them all just blow up. But no, they were smart. They said, hell no, and left. <laughs> um, that was a nice little, uh, a nice little moment. <laughs> One thing that it is question that it answered for me about the Purgil um, specifically the, the ring of Pergil bones. Cause I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, so how did they decompose in outer space? And 
you can see when they, when they're hiding among the debris, there's these little organisms and like critters that go around and like strip them to the bone. It's almost like if, if you've seen uh, videos of, of whale falls mm-hmm. where like, you know, a whale will fall to the very bottom of the ocean and there's a whole little ecosystem that crops up around the whale's body to like strip it to the bone. And I'm like, that's neat. I like that. More Cosmozoans, more space living organisms, please, because <laughs> I think that's a very cool sci-fi thing that, you know, Star Wars has always done back to, you know, the Minox and the space slug from Empire Strikes Back. So I, I like to see those kinds of creatures. As an avid aquarium fan and aquascaper, shrimp really do eat that fast. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice this. That's really cool. Oh. I I liked whenever they were hiding in the bones and it it just reminded me a lot of like the Empire Strikes Back of them just being stuck on the asteroid and then obviously being like brought out of the cave that wasn't really a cave. But <laughs> it was I, I liked the game of cat and mouse. It just made it very fun and then seeing Thrawn in the background and just being like she'll come out eventually. We don't, need to, we don't need to worry about her. So, I, I yeah. think it, I think it went well. Yeah. Well. Okay. So, apparently, there's an inquisitorial database, which is, of course, mm. there is. I mean, yeah. that's a database I would enjoy browsing. <laughs> <laughs> all of the dirt on all of the Jedi. <laughs> How many of them had children? <laughs> <laughs> Secret lives of Jedi. No. <laughs> Jedi lives. It's the tabloids of the galaxy. <laughs> well, um, Ron learns all about Ahsoka through this database, mm. including the identity of her master. Um, <laughs> you could almost see them. I mean, you really could. You saw the moment on his face when he found this out. Um, what was going through his mind, do you think? <laughs> Was he thinking, oh, no? Was he thinking interesting? Was he thinking like, you know, how what what was going on? Having read the books where he interacts with both Anakin and Vader, I think he was thinking like, oh, this this may be a potential monkey wrench, (laughs) you know, because and what, what he says later that, you know, Ahsoka Tano will be unpredictable and dangerous and it's like he knows it because he is he has worked with her master both when he was a jedi and when he was a sith and he knows how dangerous anakin can be and how unpredictable he is in 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 the book when uh i think it's uh thrawn alliances that's what it is when he works with anakin their kind of clash is that Anakin is so unpredictable and impulsive and just does things where Thrawn kind of wants to meticulously plan everything out and their their personalities clash that way. But they also learn from one another. And so I I think he he also may have kind of a new respect for Ahsoka, given that he he knows this person. He respected Anakin and he also respected Anakin as Vader, which he knew who Vader was, because of course he did, because he's Thrawn. But yeah, I, I liked that moment where you clearly saw on his face like, ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. I like that you can even catch him on the hop. Yeah, any other comments on that? Josh or Ryan? I think he, it totally makes sense to immediately try to figure out who the master was. No. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're going to they're going to take on elements of. Yeah. Makes me wonder so, who Balin's master is. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh. oh, my gosh. Definitely want to know that. Um, somebody make this database. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Jedi. I think it's just the Jedi Temple archives, but with a new <laughs> fancy name. Ancestry.com. Well, I can imagine a Sith, like, you know how the typical stereotype of a hacker is like someone in a black hoodie, like on a computer. Just imagine like a Sith. They already have the hoodie down. So (laughs) just sit them in front of whatever device. (laughs) Yeah. 
to hack into the temple archives. Oh man, a Sith slicer. <laughs> that should be like a new class in like the old Republic RPG. <laughs> a Sith, a Sith slicer. Yeah. Do it. Do it. I don't know. Maybe they weren't at that point because this was a long time ago, guys. So right, <laughs> <laughs> far, far away. <laughs> we made that clear. I think. Um. Okay. So yeah, the other cool thing that um you mentioned earlier, Ryan, was that Ahsoka reaches out to Sabine using the Force. So the question is, is it significant that Sabine felt? that force call or whatever you call it um does that say anything about sabine's ability to like feel the force um or is it simply ahsoka's like power and her ability to use the force um josh what do you think I'd like to see Sabine as like the blind guy from Rogue One of like being able to like observe the force around him, but like not necessarily use it in every way. And I think that that sort of shows a bit, I guess, with Ahsoka being able to connect with Sabine there. But I feel like they were also using that as a means to try and explain the Kylo Ren and Rey connecting with each other. I feel like that's part of their main goal with that, but I don't fully know. Just just because I feel like everyone was always hating on the sequels for that one of like them <laughs> connecting like that. So this may be their way of trying to reconcile that aspect. I definitely was thinking of Luke and Leia in the original trilogy. That was where my brain went. Thomas, yep. you're nodding your head. Yep. <laughs> oh, I went the other way. <laughs> Well, no, yeah, I think I feel like what Ray and Kylo do is just like an a jacked up version of that right. same sort of force power. And my brother has also told me that in Knights of the Old Republic, there are two prominent characters who have a Ray and Kylo level connection in the force. So there's definitely precedent. As mm -hmm. for Sabine, I'm not so certain that like it proves that she's force sensitive the way a Jedi is. I kind of agree with Josh that like she may be like at a Chirrut Imwe level, you know, where he he was clearly in tune with the force, but didn't use it in the way a Jedi does, because I'm still operating under the assumption that everyone is broadly like latently force sensitive in the sense that the force moves through all living things. It's just that not everybody can use it the way a Jedi can. And so Sabine may have some ability to tune into the Force and hear a call like what Ahsoka did, but I don't know if. Yeah, I mean, the the if if they go the easy way, they'll just make her a Jedi. But if they go the more interesting way, I think that she'll have some Force sensitivity, but not at a Jedi's level. Ryan, what say you? I took the scene as kind of hyping up Ahsoka more than I did um, showing that Sabine has progressed in her connection because of the way they did all of the sound design for that scene. They had Ahsoka just focus in. They had all of these force re reverberating sound effects and she just laid her head back um, and sort of connected with Sabine. So... I would I would love to see Sabine not really be that force sensitive at all and sort of, and this sort of um kind of show just the show how like a a regular person might be able to connect with the force in the mm -hmm. Star Wars universe but um I think I in that scene I saw a lot more about like um saw a lot about more a lot more about how powerful Ahsoka is not really about how far Sabine has gotten mm -hmm. in her training because I think she's kind of on she's still where she's at um, yeah that makes sense yeah yeah um so 
jumping down to the planet surface, because there's actually a lot that happens on the planetary surface. Um, we're like this, this conversation is, has become so much more rich than I anticipated you guys. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> sorry, we're only halfway through. <laughs> um, the roly poly pill bug, not RV things <laughs> that Sabine and yeah. Ezra are in. Kind Star of amazing. Air streets. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I thought it was really cool. I, it totally fit the, um, the Hobbit, um, you know, halfling slash turtle slash crab <laughs> vibe that we got. But um, Sabine was catching Ezra up on what happened in the galaxy since he left. Um, of course, everyone loving the whole, you know, that's what people say when <laughs> Ezra was like, and the emperor died. Just like, that's what people say. <laughs> um, so, yeah, imagine being Ezra in that situation. Kind of crazy. Um, meanwhile, Plastics. Oh. no, go ahead. I was just going to say the last time he saw the emperor, he tried to shoot fire. The emperor tried to shoot fire at him in the world between worlds. So, right. Yeah, that's all he's seen of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, meanwhile, Balin Skull has this like little monologue and then parts ways with his Padawan, Shin. Um, he encourages her to take her place in the coming empire. And then... He engages with Ahsoka. He loses his howler to her. I mean, a lot happens. But ultimately, I'm wondering if you got any further clues from these interactions or these times that we had Balin on on camera. Um, any clues about his ultimate goals? Um, because he it's I found it fascinating that he just kind of lets Shin go and. <laughs> Um, yeah, why, what's the point in training her if she's just kind of going to go her own path on a different path from him? Was it, was this goal that he had all along to ally with Morgan, get to this planet, find some kind of unseen power was that his plan all along? And if so, was he just, I don't know, did he need a personal assistant? Like, what? <laughs> why did he have a Padawan in the first place? I don't know. What do you guys think? Just jump in here. I almost took it like he was, he wanted Shin to learn a lesson that, because mm -hmm. he could sense that desire in her for power, because she kept bringing it up. And he's like, look, that kind of temporal power is fleeting and is not what I'm looking for. And he encourages her to follow that passion of becoming part of the new empire and gives her that parting wisdom of like, in what does he say? Uh, um, you know, if, if you're too eager for victory, it'll ensure your defeat. I think he, he, he wanted her to learn that lesson and then come back kind of chastened almost hmm. like when, when a parent lets their kid mess up, you know, in order that they learn something. I don't know that that was kind of the vibe I I got from it. But I'm interested to see how their reunion goes, because I feel she's she's not going to be happy that he kind of left her in the lurch there. It makes me think a lot about Balin's like overall project. He does not want to be. He does not want to create um, just the Sith version of the Jedi wants to do away with that. And I think that this was kind of his, this was kind of his like, almost his like way of trying to do that because he let Shin go. And I think his ideal was she defeats Ezra and Sabine and just sort of goes away. And I don't know does something else like, <laughs> that was my i don't know exactly too. what she's going to be doing on a planet that's abandoned <laughs> in the middle of nowhere it doesn't make a lot of sense but like um i think it's kind of i think 
a lot of what's going on is we're kind of seeing that we're seeing Balin and Ahsoka both make mistakes as masters and how they deal with it. Okay. Um, it's like Balin is trying to do something very particular. We don't know what it is. Unfortunately, it's really cool, though. Um, he's trying to do something. He has a project. Ahsoka clearly has a project with Sabine. And they're both trying to do something new. And I'd, I'd have to think about this more and really process how they're kind of being juxtaposed between each other. But um, mm-hmm. it seems to me like Balin is the um, is the sort of anti-Ahsoka who hasn't processed the uh, failures of mm-hmm. probably his own master from the past where Ahsoka okay. has and has been able to move on and apply that to her new role where Balin is kind of just trying to distance himself away from, from the past and just move on from it without actually experiencing it and, and uh, resolving his hurt. That's a solid theory. So Thomas thinks Shin is going to come back. Ryan thinks Shin... Well, I guess I don't know. Do you? I think do you, she's going to. I think she's going to leave do? him. I think she's going to leave him. She's going to try and kill him. I think that that's extremely. Yeah, that seems to me like I, a really uh, shin thing to do. Josh, what say you? Yeah, she'd she'd also come back and be like, "Why did you leave me? Why did you let me do this?" And then she's going to like act out in anger towards him and get a lesson. Um, it was very interesting to see Shin's character and how she's. I guess just more into it. I don't feel like we've really seen much in like this episode along with last, like just really explored her. Um, how even in the fight and like towards the end where Ahsoka was like, Hey, I'll teach you. We can help make you better kind of thing. And she was like, I don't know. I don't know if she always has those like that fear in her (laughs) eyes or not, but like, yeah, she felt afraid and didn't know what to do. So, mm. I I do think that she is gonna go back to Balin just because I feel like his goal was if she wanted that she would have died, and like I think that was his end goal is that if you're gonna do this you're gonna die. So now she's gonna she sort of saw that and then left and is gonna go back to him, and then see where it goes from there. Okay, so I've also heard some people say that they think Shin is going to turn and become good. She's going to convert, quote unquote. I don't know about that. (laughs) But I do feel betrayed, speaking of betrayal, because I know that there must be somebody out there listening to this show who knows something about Hebrew or Syriac. And none of you have written to us to tell us something that I learned through Google the other day. That Shin is a letter in the alphabet, in the Hebrew alphabet slash Syriac alphabet. What? Why did you guys not tell me that? (laughs) (laughs) Write to us. It's in the dreidel game. (laughs) (laughs) Send us feedback at starwars at sqpn.com. I'll just plug that now. If you know um, a little bit more about the meaning of that. I would really appreciate to hear that because there's a billion things, a bajillion, a Google of things on Google. So um, going to maybe somebody who um, very quickly we want to have a, a geek out moment over Ezra. He is now force monk. <laughs> yes, he is force monk. <laughs> what did you guys think of his new combat style? Do you think it says something about his journey here and his relationship with the Force, Thomas? Well, I, first of all, I want to say when he said the Force is my ally, I like cheered out loud. <laughs> I was I, I just love that because I, I always like to see Jedi not rely so much on their lightsabers. You know, as Yoda says, you know, my ally is the Force. 
And I just love that. I was disappointed that later he did pick up a blaster and start using it. But I did like the force foo that he used. I thought I thought it was very interesting and, and <laughs> cool to watch. Um, but yeah, and I liked him and Sabine's banter beforehand. I just want to say these two actors have inhabited these characters. Like both their banter at the end of the previous episode and their banter in this episode has been spot on just like rebels and it's it it's a tribute to how talented these actors are they've clearly studied you know the previous animated portrayals of these characters and have just inhabited them 100 percent. i felt like i was watching rebels again and yeah i i like ah, i just like seeing ezra in action again it's so great okay josh go you, you can't you like can't stop but like smile when you see ezra fighting because it's just like there's a there's a certain like aspect of like comedy to his fighting as well, <laughs> and it's just like he, he just likes toying with stormtroopers a bit and like having fun with them, and even with like Shin and stuff, he just like stops her blade in front of him, and, like it, then it just he's like looking at her blade and is like mesmerized by it, like whoa, this is so cool. <laughs> uh, I I just I I like this fight. I, I think it suits him well to become just like this guy who doesn't need lightsabers. Of course, he's still going to knock a few stormtroopers over, but that's all you need to do to kill them because they're, <laughs> they're just bodies. <laughs> um, but I, I absolutely loved it, and I, I can't wait to see more of him fighting. I, I really hope to see him just develop more of being in with the Force, and I think that's something that they're trying to go with for Ezra. And I think like just an overall sense of developing the force with the Ahsoka series. And I think Ezra is a really good way to do that where he's been away without a lightsaber. And it's just kind of been like a hermit in the, in mm -hmm. this desolate place, kind of like Yoda was where he didn't need that lightsaber and relied only on the force. Except Ezra is not 800 years old. So, <laughs> Yeah. When 900 years old you reach, look as good you will not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ryan, you got anything for us? Uh, the only thing that I just had to look up after seeing that were the principles of Krav Maga. Um, and I just was really curious to see that um, they did emphasize how Ezra was using the weapons of his enemies actively and taking them up and using them which is a principle in Krav Maga. I'm not in any way a martial artist, so Krav Maga aficionados do not come after me in the comment <laughs> section for completely, like, going to a Wikipedia article for five <laughs> seconds and being interested in it. But I was, I was actually really excited to see that Ezra did use what appear to be on-paper principles from from Krav Maga, which was developed as an Israeli fighting style to be extremely uh, deadly and quick and use one situation to your own advantage, which clearly he did. So very, very cool. I don't know if that was intentional or not by the um, show writers, but it did. It just presented really well. Yeah. And martial art aficionados email us. Yes. at sqpn.com. <laughs> okay, you guys. All right, so we've come to the final moments here. Um, I've heard someone say that Thrawn was very similar to the Thrawn in Rebels because he was constantly justifying his losses <laughs> in those episodes. Do you feel like Thrawn actually poses a major threat to our protagonists in this series? Do you really think there's a chance that he's going to get away? He's going to return to the previous galaxy or do you doubt it? Do you think it's more of a, you know, just a device? He's just there to play his antagonistic games and that's it. Um, Thomas, you're you're a writer and you're here. So, OK, <laughs> what, what do you think? I feel like I mean, and they've announced that this is supposed to set up something larger. So I do think we are going to get Thrawn escaping at the end. You know, there will be some resolution where, where our heroes will accomplish something that can be interpreted as a win. But I, I think Thrawn's getting to the other galaxy. 
you know, and I uh, like this is what I would hope would happen was that he's, you know, he gets back, you know, they, they attach the Chimera to the Eye of Scion, get to the normal Star Wars galaxy. And then Paleon is just waiting for him there with the fleet, with the remnant fleet to turn it over to him, you know, because that would be really like, you know, that would be a big like end series moment almost on like a downer. But it's like, how do we resolve this going into either next season or if if they keep to their plans and it's Lucasfilm and they may not if they're going to do Filoni's kind of crossover movie that he he would like to do you know, kind of an heir to the Empire film. But I think that no matter what happens, I think Thrawn's getting away. I'm more interested in, because I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. I'm more interested in the Balin and Shin stuff simply because I have no clue what they're going on about okay. with that. And so I'm I'm very interested to see that. But I am excited to see Thrawn reach the main galaxy. And I think he will be a threat because... Yes, in some instances, he does kind of justify retreats, but he also knows how to turn even a defeat to his advantage and to find to pick something out of defeat to say, like, well, I still made progress. And I think that what that's what makes him an effective military leader more than like the average imperial admiral or general who's just useless, usually. (laughs) Yeah, and maybe like Mr. Rogers, we can all learn something from Thrawn. <laughs> yes. Get ourselves back up and tell ourselves that our It's a beautiful day in the galaxy. Really <laughs> in our face. Yeah. Uh, okay, Josh, what do you think? Do you think Thrawn is a threat? I think he always is. No matter, like even if like he stayed in this other galaxy, he'd figure out some way to still be controlling the other galaxy or doing something i don't think like it's like a cockroach it'll still be there until like you know (laughs) the head's cut off like it you you can't really seem to get rid of it but as to sort of like what it is that his overall goal is and where he actually fits into the skywalker's timeline as well that's where i'm more curious of seeing where Mm -hmm. it goes of how it blends together. And Ryan, what do you think? I don't think Thrawn is intended to be a threat in this series. I think that he's kind of there as a plot device at the moment, and that they're intending to use him in the next series for Ahsoka, or wherever they're taking this thing next. Um, I think that he isn't... He's meant in this series to be kind of a force of nature you know he's kind of a bit inevitable he's kind of just there he will win he will get to the other galaxy and it's more about how the other our other heroes um respond to the threat at hand because it would be really weird if in one episode one finale we get the grand defeat of Grand Admiral Thrawn, and he stays in La La Land forever. Um, <laughs> that would be very odd. I'll say that much. Okay, so from our conversation today, I'm getting dreams and madness means that could mean um, dreams, Balin, madness, Shin. Dreams and Madness, maybe Dreams, Thrawn, Madness, Morgan, because she's constantly like, Thrawn, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. This is Madness. Um, yeah. Uh, what do, do you guys have any, any further clues as to why Dreams and Madness <laughs> happen to be the title for the episode? <laughs> I think it would have been a better episode title if that was the title given to the flashback episode. Ah, except like, I, I know that they're referring back to episode six because Balin says that the planet Peridia is a place of dreams and madness. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so okay. I get so that more about I, the planet planet. Yeah, but still, but I would have liked to have seen more dreams and madness like to, to <laughs> yeah. say that, that yeah. this is a place of dreams and madness, like makes me think like even being on this planet kind of makes you go a bit crazy. Mm-hmm. you know like Where that's are the what crazy it makes me force think. visions right are the crazy yeah. 
you know, messing with your mind sort of things that we would expect on a planet full of force witches, you know, the last three great mothers <laughs> in the galaxy, presumably, and we haven't seen anyone go crazy yet. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I guess hopefully maybe there will be more dreams and madness in the finale. <laughs> so for all of you out there, um, we we do want to hear what you think. Um, any questions or comments about Star Wars at all? are wonderful um, and our thanks to listener Mike for commenting on our YouTube channel for SQPN and sharing a connection that he noticed between the introduction of Thrawn and the introduction of another blue skinned military leader in the Japanese anime star blazers. Mike said when the villain leader Deathlock is introduced, it's very similar to Thrawn's introduction. He's also blue in a white uniform he marches up to his throne through all his assembled troops with all of them chanting his name so very cool um none of us are familiar with star blazers but would love to learn more if anyone else sees other connections i'm sure that that was probably a connection that um the creators of the series are familiar with because they're definitely versed. i know at least dave filoni is versed in japanese anime so very cool all right so you all um, continue to send us your feedback at starquest at sqpn.com or excuse me, starwars at sqpn.com. You can find us, find StarQuest on Facebook, facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Leave a comment there. You can find us on our YouTube channel, SQPN. You can also um, write to us on X, aka Twitter, and find us there at SQPN. And if you're interested, again, in joining Discord and learning all about what Ryan is up to, no, I'm just kidding, um, and the rest of us that are there, um, you can join us on our online community there, sqpn.com slash star, uh, excuse me, I'm all over the place. <laughs> it's dreams and madness, sqpn.com slash discord. All right, so find Secrets of Star Wars anywhere and everywhere you find your podcasts. You can also find us at sqpn.com slash Star Wars and tell your friends. So until next time, and you better tune in you all next week, of course, because we'll have our finale episode for Ahsoka. Until next time, I see you again, Master Ecrete. Thank you for joining us on the crew today. Thank you, and may the Force be with you. <laughs> And thank you to the Pod Racer for joining us as well. It was a pleasure to be here. And uh, Padawan Josh Beagley, thank you for joining us as well. Always happy to join. Yes, sir. All right. And once again, I am the one in the mi- in the middle. The uh, Bendu was probably known for some dreams and madness. <laughs> Angela Cialana, thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Wars on Star Quest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. PlayStation Portable. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at starquest.fm slash PSP.